You're listening to Mitnick's Monthly Brushstrokes, a podcast on the art of outsmarting, the fun part that sets you apart. I'm Keith Mitnick, author of Don't Eat the Bruises, How to Foil Their Plans to Spoil Your Case. For more information, please visit keithmitnick.com. In the last podcast, we talked about picking powerful, perfect words and taking the time and using the thesaurus because words matter. It's like you talk about, you say the word coast, what do you picture? A rocky shoreline. Say the word beach, what do you picture? Sand and umbrellas. Words matter. And we dealt with that in the last podcast. This go around, I want to talk about some other ways to create the language of your case. One of them is what I call resurrecting recognizable phrases. The reason that going back and taking phrases out of our past, like a picture's worth a thousand words, is because they come wrapped with history and authenticity and reliability. Jurors have heard their grandparents use them, their parents use them, and they know instantly what they mean and they trust that phrase. It taps into something that is biological almost in us. So those phrases, if you can find the right ones to fit into your case, really have a running head start with the jury, and it doesn't take much time to get the point across to them. Let me just give you a few examples. I love this one. I use it all the time. Actions speak louder than words. It's really a old adage version of circumstantial evidence. Well, he says he didn't do this, that, or the other, but let's see what he did. Well, would he have done that if what he's saying is true? No. And you know what, folks? Actions speak louder than words. You say that, and I promise you from having done it a bunch of times, jurors will be nodding when you use the phrase. Here's another one. Truth matters. I can't tell you how many closing arguments in rebuttal I haven't ended where I said, please bring back a verdict that says the truth matters because people bow up their back and go, you know, it sure does. I remember my daddy telling me that. So it does. If you caught the other side lying, here's another one, cutting safety corners. Everybody's heard it. They were cutting safety corners. You don't have to say much. That's a lot better than they weren't careful because it's got history with the jurors. Taking shortcuts. Everybody knows about taking shortcuts. Here's another one we've all heard. He didn't take the time to do his job right. How about this one? You'd rather be safe than sorry. How about this one? If they're going to talk the talk, walk the walk. If I've got a defendant who's talking about personal responsibility and their client was acting reckless, I bring out personal responsibility. Listen, they're golden rules of personal responsibility. If you're going to point the finger, first hold up the mirror to yourself. And if you're going to talk the talk, walk the walk. It's a powerful way to attack someone who's talking out of both sides of their mouth. Here's another one. Practice what you preach. I said it at the beginning. A picture's worth a thousand words. That works great where the MRIs are in your favor and the treating radiologist says that's a herniation. And it's my opinion that was traumatically caused by this crash. Well, then you can tell the jury, MRIs don't lie. You can see them with your own eyes. Then flow into a picture's worth a thousand words. We've already talked in another podcast about the importance of the old adage, 
don't judge a book by its cover, which goes into looks can be deceiving where your client doesn't appear on the surface hurt, but you can't see the pain that lies beneath the surface. Here's one I love. Common sense versus coincidence, where I'm saying the defense is taking the position that my client had no problems before this crash, no injections, no doctor visits, no surgeries, no complaints of pain in the neck, had this crash, immediately had pain, and thereafter, the pain has never gone away, and now has had chiropractor visits, has had physical therapy, has had injections, and has had surgery. And they would have you believe the crash is all just a big coincidence. Common sense, folks, versus coincidence. Here's another one, truth and consequences. This case is about truth and consequences. Now, the old saying is actually truth or consequences, but I usually switch it to and because it's a little off key, like a minor note in a symphony, and it draws attention, and I really don't mean or. I mean, this case is about truth and consequences. So those are examples of you resurrecting recognizable phrases. The next part of this that I want to cover to kind of wrap up this section dealing with creating the language of your case is what I call asking winning questions. And it is a very powerful tool. You frame questions in a way that are winning questions. They're fair questions, but they're questions that you know you're going to win the answer to. And you frame them in a way that you point to the jury, for example, a question that will really help you get to the truth of the matter in this case is. And then you plug in one of these winning questions. I'll give you a few examples. Fitting into this coincidence versus common sense. You can turn that into a question. A question that will really help you get to the truth of the matter is, was it all just a big coincidence? That's something you need to answer in this case, folks, and it'll go a long way to helping you fill out that verdict form. It's just, I can tell you from having used it, when they're using the coincidence and everything's just unrelated to the crash, when it makes no common sense, that phrase, you're going to win, and it puts a laser dot on their Achilles heel, and it'll shine a light on the path to a fair verdict. Here's another question you can put in. If you've got treating doctors on your side, and they only have doctors who they've hired experts, you can say, who's a better guide to the truth? Ask yourself this question. It'll help you resolve the case. Who's a better guide to the truth? The treating doctors or the doctors hand-picked and hired by one side in this lawsuit? Or you can flip it a little and say, who's a more reliable source of information? The treating doctors who got no dog in the fight or these people they hire all the time who they pick one more time in this lawsuit and paid a bunch of money. You could ask a question of, if you're talking about the experts, you decide whether the treating doctors or those hired witnesses for the defense, which one was a reliable educator who let the chips fall where they may? or which came off like a paid persuader with an agenda. Here's another one. If the defense keeps throwing distractions at you, you can do, why are they trying to change the subject on you? Ask yourself. The point is, those questions powerfully frame the case. You can do them in med mal cases. 
Did the doctor get to the bottom of this life and death question? Did the doctor put two and two together within reason? Should the doctor have kept the patient in the loop, not in the dark? Did the doctor waste time unnecessarily? Did the doctor take the time to do his job right? Did the doctor use the basic tools at his fingertips? Did the doctor unnecessarily cut safety corners? Should a doctor have to finish the job if he starts it? Should a doctor have to follow the basic principle, rather be safe than sorry, within reason? I could go on and on. The point is this. In order to create the language of your case, you pick the right words, you resurrect recognizable phrases, and you pick winning questions, and you will go a long way to framing your case in a way that will alter the outcome in a favorable way. Thank you. For more information, please visit keithbentnick.com.